Good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for being here as we continue in this series called InstaFam. And whether you're a guest or a regular tender, we're just so grateful that we could experience these moments together. And I'm just trusting that God will do great things in all of our lives. But I couldn't even fathom moving forward in a service and in a talk about families without acknowledging and then investing ourselves in prayer for the families in our country that are so profoundly hurting right now because of the events in Boston and the events in Texas. And I just think it's so important that we acknowledge that there are fellow human beings on this planet that God made and that God loves who are experiencing tragedy and that we should be praying God's comfort and grace in their lives. And uh, let it just be a reminder that even when the media isn't highlighting a tragedy, that every single day there are fellow human beings that are experiencing devastation and tragedy and, and loss. And I just think it's good to acknowledge it. And so would you join me, please, in this moment of prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you so much that though many haven't experienced it as a reality, you really are available to be the father of each and every one of us. And God, I remember as a kid how in difficult and tragic moments, I found security and comfort and peace and encouragement and hope not through explanations and understandings of the events of the times, but by just simply being in the presence of my Father. And I thank you that each and every one of us in this world have the opportunity to know the same thing by knowing you as Father. And I just ask now, on behalf of those hurting and experiencing such loss and pain, and frustration and doubt in Boston and in Texas, that you would reveal yourself to each and every one of them as Father, that they would be able to open their eyes and their heart to the reality that in a world that defies explanation at times, we have you. And I pray that you would give grace and strength and comfort and protection to each of these people. May they experience love from others and love from you. And I pray for those experiencing the same kind of tragedy only in hiddenness around the world. I just pray that you would be with them and uplift them and comfort them. And may each and every one of us in our daily lives be looking for people who are hurting so that we might show them your love and tell them your truth and involve them in a relationship with you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate so much you embracing that moment of prayer for these, and I hope that you'll continue praying for them. As we move forward in our series called InstaFam, if you're a guest, if you haven't yet heard one of the talks from this series, you can get them online, but it's really a play off of a, a smartphone app called Instagram, which is a photo app where you can take a picture and color it in different ways and edit it in different ways and then kind of share your life as you're experiencing it with those that you care about. Well, God, who cares about each and every one of us, has given us Instagram, so to speak, pictures of family and relationship 
as he created it to be experienced. And in this series, what we're doing is we're laying out his picture of the family and relationships so that we can compare our lives and evaluate our lives by it and seek to begin living his way. Now, before I get into this talk, it's so important that you know we get it that not every one of you is in a typical family setting, situation. Not all of you are married. In fact, many of you aren't, and many of you aren't parents and don't have kids. And and you could easily back away from this teaching and think it was irrelevant to you if if you don't fit one of those traditional categories. But the truth is that you're in relationships where you have influence and you're being influenced. And all the principles that we'll talk about in this weekend's talk have application to your life. So listen and, and understand maybe what happened to you growing up and what you can be in the context of your relationships. I, I tell you, as I was growing up in my family setting, something took place in my life that I was totally, totally unaware of. I had no concept of something that was profoundly at work in my life. In fact, if someone had said this was happening to me, I would have denied it on the face of that. And here's what happened. Against every ounce of desire in my life, my parents were still having a huge influence on the way I saw the world, on my values. My parents were literally imprinting my life with their values. And I'm telling you, I would have denied it. I, I wanted to be anything but like them. I wanted to reject their values and pursue my own. I fancied myself as pretty independent. I fancied myself as self-sufficient. And I, I saw my life as being very different from theirs. And so I pushed against them and rebelled against them because there was no way I wanted to be that proverbial apple that's falling close to the tree. I wanted my apple to be in an entirely different universe from where my parents were. And I mean, I lived my life to get there. As a result, my parents lived in fear of what I would become in life. You know, it was a, it was a weird time. But in the end, they ultimately influenced me and my values in a significant way. In the end, Brad the apple didn't fall far from the tree. They imprinted their values on me. Now, now, don't get me wrong. The apple not falling far from the tree is a cliche. It's a generalization, though often true. It's not always true. The apple can fall a long way from the tree. Some of you are proof of that. You, you're nothing like in value or choice what your parents were like. The apple doesn't always fall close to the tree. Sometimes it falls a great deal away. But there is a reality that family influences us significantly. For the good and for the bad, some of us work our entire lives to overcome some of the dysfunction that we inherited because of our difficult family settings. And some of us have, have become better than we wanted to be because of the, the significant investment of our families. The home influences us more than we think. As I was putting this talk together and laying out the principles, I took out a, a blank legal sheet of paper and I just started writing down the ways that my parents' values influenced me. And there are good ones and there are bad ones. And I'm going to be honest, there is no such thing as this perfect family where only positive values are received. Uh, we, we all get some good and some bad, some ugly out of our family settings. But I started writing down some of the positive things first. And the positive values I learned at home starts with work ethic. Work ethic. My dad had a work ethic to beat 
almost everyone's work ethic. And he got it honestly because he grew up in a family with an alcoholic dad and a mom who was really messed up and dysfunctional. And, and my dad, as the oldest son, had to work as a little boy to try and offset the financial needs of the family and to take care of his siblings. And he took on father-like responsibilities when he was just a boy. He learned work honestly. He got at it early. He, he worked himself through college, even though his family had no value for education whatsoever. And he worked himself through law school. And then he worked himself into creating a law firm and into all kinds of different things. This man knew work. It's all he knew. And, and so because most of his marketplace work was more of a professional nature, you know, a leadership nature, when he had time off, which wasn't often, but when he had time off, he found that his greatest form of recreation and relaxation was work. Manual labor. Because, I mean, at work he didn't get to do manual labor. So when he got home and had some time to relax, oh my, he found great joy in doing manual labor. And I have no problem with that. My only problem with my dad's form of recreation, manual labor, is that he didn't want to do it alone. Um, I had a lot of problems with that because my idea of relaxation and my idea of recreation had nothing to do with work of any kind, let alone manual labor. Well, he took up this really neat project. He bought some property up north, and he thought, what a neat legacy to have my four boys and his wife, the whole family, building an A-frame together that we could always remember building it. And, and I've told you that I, I, out of my four brothers, I'm number three, and my two older, and I probably have never told you their names, at least not recently, Messiah 1, Messiah 2. Yeah, those guys. They, um, they, they did everything my dad said. You know, let's build an A-frame. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, go dig a 200-foot hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when my dad would assign me some work to do, I'd disappear, man. I'm, all, I'm out of there. I'm gone. You know, he had some motorcycles at the property up there, and I, I remember him giving me assignments, and I'd go, and I'd get the motorcycle out, and I'd push it for about a mile, you know? And then I'd kick it off and go have some fun, and who cares what happened when I got home? I was having fun then. And, and there was a common phrase. I didn't know this until later. A common phrase in our family when it was work time, and the common phrase was, where's Brad? <laughs> it's like, I, I think it's the precursor to where's Waldo. You know, that was me. I was never there. But he had a huge work ethic. And as much as I hated it at the time, as much as I despised and pushed against it, the reality is it shaped me. It shaped me. They taught us very clearly that in this family, there was no entitlement. Just because you were breathing, there were no instant rewards. You had to actually invest against it. I had to work. And it rubbed off because I have no problem with the concepts of work and working hard in my life. They influenced me. Another positive value. This is one that many families haven't really given to their kids in recent generations. They imprinted me with financial discipline. Financial discipline. This is a big deal. My dad and my mom were huge on this. Debt, bad, saving, good. Sounds almost like our government. No, that's a different country. I'm sorry. Um, you know, debt, bad, saving, good. Pay now, play later. And, and then it went way beyond that. I mean, it, it'd be great if, if we as individuals would just, you know... You know, not go into debt and save a little bit, right? But boy, my dad and my mom went way beyond that because they believed that just because you had it didn't mean you should spend it. 
And I learned this because they had it, and they made it clear they weren't going to share it with me. I mean, this is, I mean, just because you had it, they lived very stark lives, really. Uh, they became very successful, and yet we lived in a 1,400, 1,500-square-foot home. Now, admittedly, it was on a lake. It was an idyllic setting, but it was a 1,400, 1,500-square-foot home with a family of six. It was small, and um, they had very stark furniture, uh, quite old furniture, and their lifestyle wasn't lavish at all. We didn't go out a ton, and um, they didn't buy a bunch of extraneous materials. I, they, they lived fairly starkly. They did provide some things for us. I mean, we had a pretty ordinary boat, but most people didn't have a boat, so we had some extras, but very, very limited. And they made us contribute around the home. I mean, big time. I, I'm always amazed at you parents who give your kids an allowance because they're breathing under your roof. I mean, really? The fact that they're breathing, they deserve an allowance, you know, because you curse them with life, they, and, you know, you give them an allowance. You know what you're teaching them, right? That because they're breathing, someone owes them something. No one owes them nothing. They should be doing stuff on their own. And my dad made this value very clear. In fact, he said, if you want to keep living, you will be working around this house. Uh, and so, I mean, we, we had to contribute around the home. And when we did, then we got supported. If we didn't, we didn't. And it was never a lot of support. And so my dad said, if you want special things, then you're going to have to work outside the home. And you're going to have to earn it yourself. I had friends that were given everything they wanted. And, and my dad could have done that, but my dad wouldn't do that because he didn't want me to have my hands out. He wanted me to get my hands involved. And it was a big deal. And I learned financial discipline that way. And he taught me saving in a very interesting way. My dad, and I'd never heard of another dad who's done this, he, he looked at all of his four boys and he said, if you will save a dollar, I'll match it. And every dollar we would put into savings, he would match. And so by the time I graduated from high school, I had $6 in the bank account. It was great. I, it was, I, I'm telling you, I was pushing against this whole financial discipline thing, you know, and but, but he had it in his head this way. He, he, he really had a value for education, and he said, I'm going to have to pay for their college anyway, and so why not teach them saving, and then I'll match it, and then I get them to pay half of their college, and they didn't even know I would pay at all. I mean, my dad was brilliant in this area, and it went even further. Though he was very conservative in how he spent his money for daily living, he was quite liberal when it came to making long-term investments with his money firm believer in education, and he was very, very willing to invest significantly in his boy's education because he knew that would have long-term impact. He did something else that was just so in line with the way he lived. He, he decided that with each of his boys, he and his wife, my mom, would help us to get a house. And so when we were married and we proved ourselves to be faithful and, and guys of integrity, Mom and dad would come and say, we'd like to put a down payment on a home for you, a little starter house, nothing ostentatious, a little starter house, and, and make a down payment for you, and then we'll finance the mortgage for you, and then you pay us because you don't have the credit to go out on your own yet. And that's what they did. And then, and none of us knew this would happen. But then, if we were faithful and had integrity to pay our bills, that mortgage that they had funded for us for two years, they paid off the mortgage, and they had dinner with us, and they gave us the free and clear ownership of that home because he was trying to teach us pay now, play later. Be a person of integrity and good things can happen. It's an amazing deal. The home that Roxanne and I now live in, it's not an ostentatious home, but it's a nice home. It's not funded by my income. I'm a pastor. It's funded 
by the equity that my dad put into our lives and my mom put into our lives as young people and we've turned that around and been faithful to that and invested appropriately and it's been able to buy a home that we couldn't afford otherwise because they taught us financial discipline. I fought every value they were trying to press into my life and yet ultimately the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Their values were imprinted into my life. It went beyond that. Educational value. I, I don't know if it's because I have a low IQ. I'm not even sure it reaches three digits. But I'm, my, I didn't know when I graduated from high school that I could be done with school. <laughs> I didn't know that. Some of you realize that if you turn 16, you can be done with school. I don't know how you figured that out. I, it's like, I thought if I didn't go to college, I would die. Maybe it's because my dad told me he'd kill me. I'm not sure exactly, but... He had a value for education, and he transferred it to me. He had an entrepreneurial drive, a drive to accomplish things and create things, and, and it transferred to me a bit. And then something unique happened. My dad wasn't always a really spiritual guy. In fact, into his middle age, he wasn't. He was a religious guy, but he didn't have a relationship with God. And... Um, our religion was Episcopalian. I don't know, has any, any of you Episcopalians here? The only way I can, yes, we have got some. The only way I can describe what an Episcopalian is, think of a really, really poor and disenfranchised Roman Catholic, and you've got an Episcopalian, I think. It's like, um, you know, we, we, we had all the rules and all the rituals, and we didn't have any fun either. Um, but we didn't have the Pope with the cool bubble car, the Sistine Chapel, and the Vatican going, you know. It was like, and I hated church, hated it. It was the most boring exercise in the world. And I thought God was church. And so I rejected the whole God thing. But then my dad, in middle age, successful beyond all his dreams, and very, very religious, realized that it all led to the same place, emptiness. And he started a search, and he found that you could know a real God instead of just know about this God. And he swapped religion for a relationship with God, and it began transforming his life. And though I had rejected God and religion and their values, I watched this man's life transform in front of my eyes. And it started imprinting the value of a relationship with God in my life. And the same thing happened to my mom, and it started imprinting a relational value with God into my life. It was a big deal. Now, it wasn't all positive values in our home. Um, though my parents were very positive people and they would have never intended this, um, I think one of the greatest negative values I learned in our home was that that task is far more important than relationship. I, I, I didn't have a real intimate and personal relationship with them. I mean, we kind of did life together and I got all this work ethic thing going, but at least from my perspective, I, there wasn't a relational value. And so, because I'm more socially driven and socially wired, I, I started pursuing relationships outside of the home because I wasn't building them inside the home. And, and so my peers started influencing me more significantly, those in my home, and it really led to some dangerous, dangerous times. Um, and it wasn't a good thing. But here's the, the reality. All of us were influenced by our family settings, whatever that was, good or bad, even if it wasn't a typical family setting when we were younger. And some of you got the opposite values that I got. Some of you got really strong relational values, but maybe not so great task and work values. 
I mean, you didn't learn work ethic and financial discipline and entrepreneurial drive and all of that, but you learned love and care and concern, which is a really positive thing. But here's the truth that I want you to see this weekend. The family is the birthplace of our values. That early setting that we are born into, and I know some of you were in adoptive circumstances. There are some in orphanages. I get it, but most in a more typical family the family is the birthplace of our values. God made it that way. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. I mean, the family is to be the birthplace for our values. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean just because parents invest good values in their kids that their kids are all going to turn out with good values. Sometimes the apple falls really far from the tree. I mean, we can't look at the parents and blame them for all the actions of the kids because sometimes it's totally different. And the opposite is true. Sometimes the family setting is filled with values that are destructive. It's tragic in its circumstances, and yet these kids sometimes can turn out to be unbelievable people of such great values. Why? Because along the way, they started associating people with influence them towards good values. But whether good or bad values, and though it's not a perfect scenario, one plus one equals two, not everyone turns out the way they grow up. The truth is, the family is the birthplace for values. It's the beginning place for values. And there are some observations that I want to give you that are really big here. The first one is this. Our values are most powerfully shaped early in our lives. And so since we're born into some kind of family circumstance or relational settings as kids... That has a powerful influence in shaping our lives because we're so young. It doesn't always play out for the long haul, but in general, it does. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. This is Solomon who became king of Israel. He was the son of David. Look at how he described his boyhood. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, still impressionable, and an only child of my mother, my dad taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live Get wisdom. Get understanding. I mean, get the picture. Solomon sitting on his daddy's lap when he's this young and impressionable kid. And his dad's saying, man, live with the right values and you'll live the right kind of life. And what were the values he gave them? Get wisdom. Get understanding. Fast forward about 20 years. He's getting ready to become king. And his daddy's getting ready to pass off the scene. And God shows up. And it doesn't happen often. But it did here. God showed up and he said, Solomon, ask me for anything you want. Anything you want and I'll give it to you. Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. Do you know what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. What an idiot. Really? I mean, seriously? I mean, God's saying, I'll give you anything you want. I'll take a little wisdom, please. Are you kidding me? Why would he do that? Because his daddy, when he was a little boy, early in his life, shaped his view of what was true value. And he said, get wisdom. And you know, it turns out Solomon wasn't the idiot. I'm the idiot. Because wisdom is what ultimately leads to the right kind of choices and the right kind of living. In fact, wisdom led him to become the richest man in the world 
one of the most influential and powerful people in the world, one of the most accomplished people in the world, because his daddy imprinted early in his life the right view of values, wisdom. Early in our life, our values can be shaped most powerfully. If we're moms and dads, we have the ability to really influence our kids potentially. If you're an uncle or an aunt, or if you're in a relationship of influence in any setting, you can do the same thing. Our values are significantly influenced by our context. Yes, the, the family is the birthplace for our values, of course, because our values are significantly influenced by our context, and family tends to be, in general, our context early in life. Look at Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools, they suffer harm. I mean, our context helps shape our influence. And for me, because I was looking for relationships outside of my family, because I, for whatever reason, wasn't finding it inside my family, I was very much shaped in my early values by my peers, by people outside the home. And it really messed me up for a long time. Our values are significantly influenced by our context. This explains how some kids, though their parents invest such good values in their lives, fall far from the tree and live such poor lives. This explains why some kids who are raised so poorly become such great people because they had the right kind of influence, chose to walk with the right kind of people. But family has the opportunity to provide a context that can transform a kid's values. And finally, our values drive our choices. I mean, the family being the birthplace of our values has to be concerned about the kind of values we're birthing into our kids' lives because their ultimate choice of values will drive their choices in life. Do you realize values are the why behind the what we do? Values are the why behind the what we do. All of us do a lot of things in life, and though many times we don't understand what's driving it, it's the values that we embrace. And very often our values are very different than our words. And yet they drive our choices. Look at how Jesus said it in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you really have the value of love for me, you're going to obey me because you love me. And this means that if we say we love him but we don't obey him, that we have some other higher value that's driving us. I think a lot of us sincerely love Jesus. We just don't love him more than other things. We don't love him more than other values. And so we choose them over him. Values are so important. And the family is the birthplace for values. If you have the privilege of being a parent or the privilege of having influence in anyone else's life, you need to seek to birth the right kind of values. Can you change their lives? Yes. Is it a guarantee? No. But man, you can make a difference. Here's the application. Since values are so important and the family can be such an influence in them, we need to intentionally, if we're parents, and we need to clearly, if we're parents, communicate the right values in the right ways to our kids. We need to intentionally and clearly communicate the right values in the right ways to our kids. Look at how God said it in Ephesians 6, 4 through Paul. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't frustrate them. Instead, bring them up the way they should be brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Give them the right values in the right way. Now, if we're going to do this. It requires some things, right? <laughs> I have found, and this is interesting, 
Once again, it might go to the IQ deal, but I have found that it's really hard to invest the right values in the right way if you don't know what the right values are. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is, it sounds so simple. It sounds so simple. But here's what I found over the course of my life in ministry. Most people have no idea what their primary values are. They have no idea. They just live in large. Values are driving them. They don't know what they are. They become parents, and they don't even know what their primary values are, and so they're just living their life and translating all the wrong values into the life of their kids because they've never thought about this. And sometimes by accident, they translate the right values into their kids, but they don't know what they are. The very first step is we need to know our primary values. Truly communicating the right values in the right way to kids requires knowing our primary values. And uh, this week we ask you to communicate uh, through our Northridge site um, what you think the most important value to be invested in your home was. And we had a bunch of them. I'm going to give you the top four. The first one was integrity. It was way up there, integrity. Honesty is included in that. The second one was love. You said love's the highest value that I think should be invested in the home. And then after those two, you had to drop about three times fewer people thought this but the next one was to be selfless or to be serving. So we teach selflessness and serving in our home. And then down there was faith, was the fourth one, faith. I find it pretty interesting that you really can't become a person of integrity, a person of love, and a person who's selfless and serving until you've been transformed by faith in Christ. And yet faith is down here and the others here, and all our great values, but we, we have to know what the primary ones are. But, but the question isn't what I think or what you think. The question is, what does God say? What does God say the primary values are in life? And I have found that, generally speaking, the first two aren't the first two in the way we raise our kids. And yet they're so obvious because Jesus made them obvious. You know what the very first and supreme value in life is, according to Jesus? Loving God. And this isn't up for debate. Now, you might not believe in Jesus. You might not accept the Bible. That's your deal. You're wrong, but that's your deal. But there's no debate whatsoever about what the Bible makes clear Jesus thought was the number one value because someone came and said, what do you think the greatest command is? What's the greatest value? And look what he says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He says, it's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Loving God's the biggest one. And then... He, he said, everyone seems to be striving for all the things that only God can provide, security and help and provisions in life. And he says in Matthew six thirty three, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all these things that are causing you worry, that you're striving for and missing, will be given to you as well. I mean, we need to love God. Love him. Now, sadly, many people kind of pervert this a little bit. Um, God didn't say the number one value was loving church, and he didn't say the number one value was loving reading the Bible, and he didn't say the number one value was giving, and he didn't say the number one value was serving. Now, it's true that if we genuinely love God, we're going to want to gather together with other believers in, in a place like this called church, and it's true that if we really love God, we're going to want to know what he says and be in his word and grow so that we can know him better, and it's true we're going to want to be generous and all of that stuff, but it's about Loving God, not those things. But you know what often happens in families? The parents might genuinely love God, but all the kids see is church 
and serving and Bible. And to them, they never connect. Happened to me. As parents, we have to communicate. I do these things because I love God. I want to know God more. Loving God, first priority. In most homes, that's not really the first priority. God says the second greatest priority is to love others. It's loving others. I know this isn't the first priority in most homes, you know. I learned competition. I grew up with three brothers, man. I have four boys. It was like compete or die, you know. And it wasn't about loving others. It was about, you know, finding a way to get the better of others. And it really kind of polluted things a little bit. But loving others is God's. Jesus said it in Mark 12, 31. You want to know what the second greatest command is? He wasn't even asked. <laughs> he just says, let me tell you what the second greatest command is. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these two. In fact, here's what he's saying. If you have the right kind of relationship with God, you will have the right kind of relationship with others. If you really love God, you can't help but love others. And, and this betrays us because so many of us make the declaration that we love God but we don't have the right kind of relationship with others and Jesus said that's impossible it's just impossible you can't do it that way God wants us to be defined by love for others look at John 13 34 and 35 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you're my followers my disciples if you love one another. He wants us to love others in the home, in the workplace, in the community, in the world. He wants us to love others, not because they benefit us, but because we were created to love them. This is why we're supposed to love the poor and love those who are hurting and care about those that we don't even know. It's what Jesus did. He didn't love us because we brought benefit to him. He demonstrated his love for us in that when we were still hating him, sinners, he died for us. We need to love others. So the first priority of value is loving God. The second primary value is loving others. And the third is then living integrity. Living integrity. God wants us to be living lives of integrity. And just so you know, integrity is simply being the same person in private that you are in public. And you know what brings so much damage to our kids since the family is the birthplace for values? You know what brings so much agony to our kids so often is that they see who we say we are in public and who we pretend to be in public, but because they live with us, they see who we really are in private. No wonder integrity is on a downswing in this world. It's not being lived out in the home. Look what God says in Proverbs 11.3. The integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Duplicity is the opposite of integrity because it means deceitfulness. It means double dealing. It means speaking out of both sides of our mouths. It means saying one thing over here to get what we want and saying the opposite thing over here to get what we want and those closest to us see it. We need to live with integrity. This is such a high value for God after loving God and loving others. Look what he says in Proverbs 22.1. A good name, a name of character, is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed, respected, is better than silver or gold. Well, the value of that truth has been lost in our culture. People don't care about their name. They care about their bank account, right? And yet this is the value to live integrity. But just so you know, it means more than you naturally think it means. Because when I hear someone talk about integrity, I usually 
start out feeling really good about myself, which is usually the case every time I look in the mirror as well. You know, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, so the key is we have to understand that we're going to try and see ourselves through the best of light. And so someone starts talking about integrity, I, I start thinking of those areas of my life where I've done okay in the integrity deal. And there are a couple of places I have. And I go, yeah, these other losers need to get this integrity thing down because I'm doing really well. But it's because I'm seeing myself through the narrow window of where I know I've done well in that. But the truth is, living integrity isn't about living integrity in a few small areas of life. Living integrity is about living integrity in all the areas of life. Uh-oh. What are the areas? Well, I'll just list a couple, see if you get hit by one of these. Moral integrity. If I'm going to truly live a life of value and then help birth that value into my kids' lives, it has to be in the moral arena. Look at Leviticus 19.11. I decided to go to the most popular book in the Bible, probably your favorite book, Leviticus. Um, look at verse 11, chapter 19. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. That says it about as well as anybody can say it. But it doesn't end with moral integrity. It goes to work integrity. We need to have work integrity. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now in my household, the one I grew up in, not the one I created, but the one I grew up in, my dad kind of changed that verse a little bit. If a man will not work, I will kill him. It was just a little play on the Bible. But if a man will not work, he shall not eat. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. You want a good reason not to just give your kids an allowance because they breathe in your home? There it is right there. Everybody should have a responsibility in a family. It births values. I believe the reason we have so many takers in this world, I believe the reason we have so many people who want government to take care of them is because they think because they're breathing, they should be provided for. But the Bible says if a man will not work, he shall not eat. And I know immediately what happens when I say stuff like this. You're going to your political persuasion. If you're a conservative, you're going, oh, I might like this guy after all. If you're a liberal, you're going, I knew he watched Fox News. I knew he did. <laughs> and, and I want you to know, this isn't, this isn't liberal conservative. This isn't Republican Democrat. Because I believe with all of my heart that we as individuals first and we as then church communities and we as a nation, we should come alongside and support and care for and help those in crisis. I believe that with all of my heart, that we really should have compassion and generosity with those in crisis. But I believe at the same time that is absolutely dysfunctional and destructive for us to teach that we will provide for people for a lifetime who never make an investment themselves. It's wrong. It's wrong. And so we have to have work integrity, and it begins in the home. It moves to financial integrity. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Now, I know that verse just speaks volumes to you right on the surface of it, doesn't it? You go, yeah. <laughs> What's that about? It's, back then, money was in the form of weighted precious metals. And when you bought something, it was going to be according to the weight of their particular monetary system. And so every 
business would have a scale, right? And so they'd say, that's so many ounces of such and such. And so they would put it on the scale. And you're not going to believe this, being the good people that you are. You're not going to believe this. But there were some businessmen back then that messed with the scale. So that you're paying twice as much, but the scale's reading, that's what you get. And, you know, this boggles my mind because there are people who are dishonest in business. There are people who charge more than a product is worth. We'd never do that. Yeah. Financial integrity. And some of you are feeling really good about yourselves right now. You're going, yeah, moral integrity, got it. Work integrity, yeah. Financial integrity, all over it. But then we move to sexual integrity. Integrity deals with all areas, not just some. And look what God says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified means holy, set apart, like him, different than the ongoing normal. And he says, here's how you'd be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, taking God's gift of sexual intimacy and using it in any way contrary to what he created it for. And he says, each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And by passionate lust, it means believing that anything goes. If you feel it, you should pursue it. That's what people do who don't have sexual integrity, who don't know God. And what God makes very, very clear is that he created sexual intimacy to be experienced between a man and a woman, and not just any man and woman. I am so tired of some people thinking that as long as I'm practicing heterosexual sex, I am good to go. No, you're not. Because he made sex to be experienced between a man and a woman who are willing to leave their parents and leave all others and commit themselves to each other for life. And anything outside of this is considered sexual immorality and is to be avoided. This value of sexual integrity is being decimated in our world. It's being thrown out with the garbage. And as a result, so many lives are being just devastated by it. It needs to be embraced in the home. Too many parents aren't living it. Too many parents aren't practicing it. And so we're teaching our kids that anything goes because that's what mom and dad do. And it also then moves to spiritual integrity. Spiritual integrity. Matthew 23, verse 28 says, In the same way, on the outside you appear to be righteous people, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know what he's saying? You've put on a good mask on the outside. You're looking holy. You're looking... Like you love God, you're looking like you love others, and you're looking like you have integrity. But you know the cancer and the garbage that exists within. There's no spiritual integrity. You come in and sing the song so everybody can see, but you know what's going on inside. And I believe this is where so many of us are. It's not a judgment. I'm a human being, and I have the same problem. But I believe so many of us have put on a better face of spirituality than the reality is of our spirituality. Here's the good news. 
all of us have failed to love God and all of us have failed to love others and all of us have failed to live lives of integrity in whatever area we've failed in, all of us have. But the great news is, this is where Jesus comes in and he says, I can make all things new. Not by covering the outside with religion, but by changing the inside through a faith relationship. Look at how it says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. The old that used to define them is gone. The new has come. And this is, I believe, the starting place for all of us. Because if we don't have a new inside, our past failures define us. We need Jesus. You don't need the covering of Northridge. You need the transformation of Jesus. You don't need to be in this building. You need Jesus to be in your body. You need to be transformed. And then when you are, you can start living out the values. Every single one of us created by God is an apple that fell really far from the tree. But Jesus made it possible for us to be put back on the tree to experience him again. But to do it, you have to know him. And so just before I unfold the last two applications quickly, I, I just need to give you the opportunity to pray. And so I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a, in a moment of prayer. And as we do, if you're already a Christ follower, I bet you there are some things that this talk has included that you could be spending time conversing with God about. But some of you here just need to open your life for Jesus to change you. Pray with me. Take my words. Make them yours. Just say, Jesus, I haven't loved God as a first priority in my life. And I haven't loved others. And I haven't lived a life of integrity. And I'm a mess. But I believe you died on that cross so that my sin could be forever buried, forgiven, and I believe you rose again so that I could be defined by a brand new life. And so I'm giving you my sin and by faith receiving new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, please let us know. We, we've done a lot of work to put together some next steps that you could take in your relationship with God. And it's so simple to get it. In your programs, if you're in one of our live services, we've got this connection card, and all you have to do is rip it out, obviously, and fill it out. And on the bottom, check that circle that says, today you prayed to receive Jesus. And then as you're leaving, just throw it in one of the boxes by every single exit, and we'll send you some next steps. And if you're watching church online, just hit the what next button. We'll do the same thing for you. All right, remember the application is simple. We need to intentionally and clearly communicate the right values and the right ways to our kids. And, and to do that, we have to be knowing our values. But there's a second principle. We need to be living our primary values. Living them. My dad didn't do a ton of talking with me, but he did a ton of living in front of me. And I got the work ethic and the financial discipline and I got the entrepreneurial spirit and even ultimately the spiritual value from how he lived his values. We need to be living our values. Look at Titus 2.7. In everything... Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity. When they see you living a way, it influences them more than when they just hear you talking it. And then finally, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Don't let them slip from your heart as long as you live. You've seen how my values can transform your life. Don't forget it and don't keep it to yourself. Teach them to your children. 
and to their children after them. The family is the birthplace for values, and the way to birth the right values into the life of our children and those we influence is to truly know those values, love God, love others, live integrity, then live them out, and then share them. And when we do, there's no guarantee our kids will embrace them. But there is this guarantee. We've done all we can to influence them to values that will help them to live. That's the picture God gave us of family. Now, next week, we're going to talk about creating an environment in the home and what it is that creates that environment that can rock their world and transform their lives. And to help us get there, we need you to send us pictures of your kids being caught red-handed, as they said earlier. And, and we woke up one morning, Roxanne and I, and this was our daughter, Carissa, right here. And um, we asked her, so what have you gotten into? To which she said, nothing. <laughs> Laya, you know, Laya. Send your pictures into northridgechurch.com, Instafam, NRC, and we'd love to show those and enjoy those together. And this Friday, I do a seminar called Discover Northridge. If you'd like to know more about our values here, sign up. We give you a meal. It'd be great. Do it online. Do it at guest services. See ya.